Everybody and welcome to Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. It's game week. We got Shotgun Spradlin in the house. He is right here sitting next to me. We got Jack Smith uh, running the show over there. Hello, Jack. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is right now. This is our first live Thursday show, I think of 2022, right? We didn't really do any during... Uh, this is probably the first of the year. We're doing our preview shows every Thursday before USC football games. We'll keep doing them throughout uh, for the rest of the year. And then we're going to do our Sunday shows that we've been doing, uh, recapping what happens in the games Sunday night, 7 p.m. for both of them. So welcome in if you're watching live on YouTube, on Facebook, or on Twitter. We appreciate that. And if you're watching the replay some other time or listening to the podcast version of it, thank you for tuning in. This is going to be our preview show for USC versus Rice. Of course, the uh, first game of the Lincoln-Riley era. It's going to be in the Coliseum, 3 p.m. on Saturday. going to be a hot one. Bring lots of water. They're going to allow you to bring in extra water in there if you're, you're going to the game. We're having a tailgate. Hopefully you can come by there, the African-American uh, History Museum uh, on the lawn over there starting at noon. So I hope you can come to that. Uh, but yeah, we're going to preview Rice. We're also going to break down the newly released depth chart that came in they come after midnight, I think. After last, midnight, it was after so, midnight. So for uh, me, that was you know it came in at about three twelve, three in the morning. Yeah, yeah. and Same. you were you were flying out here today, so Sean just got here. I'm in a t-shirt. He's in a sports jacket, which is great. Hey, you look good, feel good, fly good. Uh, that, that's true. Uh, hopefully you're gonna fly. I don't like flying. I used to fly in suits when I was a kid, like in uh, high school, because my dad worked for the airline. And you had to like dress up to, to the fly. Oh, so it was required. a little different. Yeah, it was required. You look for free, but you had to like dress up. Um, but anyway, yeah, so we got a fun show for you today. We're going to take live callers a little bit later. So Jack will be able to put up your comments if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube. We'll take some live calls. Uh, probably the preamble will be a little bit shorter. We're going to go over the depth chart a little bit, talk about what we know about Rice, if there's anything we know a little bit. Um, and we got stuff that's been going up on the site. Speaking of the site, uscfootball.com, sponsor of Tunnel Vision. We just went live like a minute ago. We're doing a crazy sale. I haven't even put anything up on it yet. 75% off for your annual membership. You got to get If you're not a member right now, jump in. 75% off an annual membership to uscfootball.com. You will not regret it. We've had, I think yesterday we put up like 10 content items. We're putting up stuff constantly. Like every hour, there's like something new going up on the site. So make sure you check it out. If you're not a subscriber, Dive in and do it right now. You're never going to get a better deal than this, 75% off. Uh, so go check it out. We're going to do it for a couple days. But the opener, it's a perfect time to get in there and be a subscriber uh, and check it out. So, um, all right. So excited for the show. We got to talk about some depth chart stuff. Shoddy. I pulled it up here. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Again, if you want to call in, 5124-TUNNEL is the number. So call 5124-TUNNEL. We already have a call in the queue. So we'll do those a little bit later. So wait in the queue. If you're in the queue, uh, thank you. Just wait a little bit, and uh, we'll get to your call. Keep them brief. Uh, you know, I'll cut you off. So we're just there. Keep them brief. I can order control on this. So, um, okay. So no, you know, Caleb Williams is starter and quarterback. You knew that. Shocker. Shocker. There's a bunch of oars. There's more oars than maybe I thought, but you thought there'd be a bunch of oars. Um, Travis Dye or Austin Jones. At the running back spot. And they also list Raylick Brown. They don't mention Dar Durham Barlow at all, which is kind of interesting. But, uh, you know, talking to, you know, I talked to Austin Jones yesterday. Um, talked to, they, they put some guys, uh, you know, uh, guys that were available like um, Brendan Rice. You know, he was available. He's one of the starters. Like, they think they made some of the starters available. But Austin oh. Jones is a great kid. Um, I could see both of those guys getting touches. Uh, any thoughts on running back stuff? I mean, everyone was kind of miffed that Darwin Marlowe wasn't on there, but I right. think if you look at the offensive depth chart versus the defensive depth chart, 
The offense is very much streamlined. You know, the offense line, two deep all the way across the board. Wide yeah. receivers, three deep across the board. Running back, you're going three deep. You know, just skill positions, you're going three deep there. Um, whereas defensive side, there's some, you know, some play, some guys, some positions were two deep, some positions are four deep. So I, I think it's just pretty streamlined there. Uh, Lincoln Riley said this morning that, you know, Darwin Barlow is going to be in there. All four running backs will play some. I think that just Relique Brown has showcased himself and, you know, people, you know, at three in the morning when I was, you know, going through the depth chart and, you know, giving some of my notes and stuff on it, people were like, well, aren't you shocked at Darwin Barlow? I was like, I just said no and just sent him a link to the Relique Brown story that I wrote uh, a week or two ago um, just because I think he's impressed so much. And I think Austin Jones is the guy that has taken a big step forward, and we've heard really positive things about him. I'm surprised. I think that's probably more surprising to me to see Austin Jones as an or um, on the first string with Travis Dye than than not seeing Darwin Barlow in the top three. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's go to the uh, pass catcher guys. <laughs> okay. The guys that can catch the pass. That would be the running backs too. Yeah, they do. Austin Jones talked about that. Uh, Austin Jones told me he's like up to, you know, like, 205 now. He's put on some weight. It's looking good. Uh, three wide receiver spots that they list. Uh, Brendan Rice, who I already mentioned. Mario Williams, transfer from Oklahoma. And then uh, Jordan Addison. Uh, so that's, what, 234, right? That's not bad. So you can go 234. Um, you also have Kyron Hudson, no more wear. I don't. I, I think I missed the memo on that when that happened. Yeah, I didn't see that one I either. saw that. Like, uh, Taj Washington, you know, or Kyle Ford, Taj Washington, or Gary Bryant backing up Mario Williams. And then they have Terrell Bynum behind Addison and then C.J. Williams, who's looked really good from what we saw, too. Um, Lake McCree or Malcolm Epps uh, at the tight end spot, which, you know, kind of makes sense. And they'll have, like, you know, Lake will play more of the H-back kind of thing. And you might see Malcolm Epps split out a little more. And then Josh Fala listed behind them. So anything on the pass catchers you want to comment on? I mean, the fact that Brendan Rice is the third wide receiver, that was kind of the, the most notable thing. Just yeah. because we're wondering, okay, who's going to be? But, you know, looking at you know, what you guys have seen in practice, he's been the guy that's running with the first team throughout. So not necessarily there. I thought Lake McCree, even though it is technically an or, the fact that he's on the top line of the or over mm -hmm. Malcolm Epps, I thought it was a little bit surprising. I know he's come on the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, he missed a, you missed the spring and missed some time early in camp. Um, but for him to, to come on and, and – you know, be in that starting spot with Malcolm Epps. I think that's a, a notable thing there. And it'll be interesting to see how they use those guys in different ways, if that's the case, or if it's just they're going to play the same position um, and they're both right there. We're going to see who it plays out because that's the case with some of these positions is just seeing, all right, we're going to give guys reps and then we're going to see who can, you know, who can kind of take over a position. Yeah. Uh, moving down, let's go to the big boys. Um, no surprise really at any spot. Uh, you have Andrew Voorhees at left guard, Brett Neal at center, Justin Dietrich, the new newly minted captain at right guard, Jonah Monheim at right tackle, and then at left tackle, you don't know. Is it going to be Cortland Ford? Is it going to be the Virginia transfer, Bobby Haskins? So probably see both of those guys. It'll be interesting. The, the interesting thing will be, does anyone else play along the line? Are they going to do any sort of rotation? They've talked about Mason Murphy. They like a lot. They like Gino Quinones. Um, but I don't no shot, no surprise there. I mean, that's what we expected. Anything? Any I mean, comments? The most notable thing to me actually was the backup right guard, Joe Bryson, a walk on. Yeah. And maybe he's already on scholarship. We haven't heard of any walk ons getting scholarships that I know of off the top of my head. Um, so I think he's a guy that will eventually be on scholarship just because if you're on the two deep there as an offensive lineman. But the fact it's not just that he's on the two deep, it's that who he's in front of. There's yeah. multiple scholarship guys that are behind him. Now, uh, you know, maybe some of them are playing uh, tackle more and, you know, they're backing up those other positions. But it, not a, he's not necessarily going to be the first guy off the bench if Justin Dietrich were to go down the first play. That's not going to happen. But I think it is notable that he has worked his way up. And it says something to the rest of the team that hey, it doesn't matter if you're a scholarship guy or a walk-on. You know, you got to make your mark on the, the team. And that's something that's the biggest takeaway. And we'll get it to it, you know, maybe a little bit more after the defense. But if you weren't out there practicing – there's a good chance that you were behind where you know people were kind of anticipating you being. Yeah, and that's why Joe Bryson can be where he is. Um, let's go to the defensive side of the ball and starting with the secondary. You know, we thought originally that Max Williams was going to be the nickel, and then it kind of 
we start started to see it looks like he's playing free safety. And uh, so he's the starter of free safety along with Kalen Bullock at strong safety. Not really a surprise there. Uh, and then at the corner spots, Makai Blackman and Sierra Wright, the two guys that we've been seeing. So I don't think those are the guys we've been seeing sort of getting those first team reps when the little bits we get to see when the defense is out there running uh, in formation. Um, anything else from the secondary that you want to comment on? I mean, Jalen Smith uh, being the – I'm sorry, Jalen Smith at the being nickel, the nickel spot. My bad. Just, you know, uh, Alex Grinch just talked about, hey, we want to get the five best DBs on the field. And that tells you that they're going to do that with that safety position. Max Williams you know, has played nickel for USC, starter at nickel uh, in the past. For him to move back to free safety tells you that Jalen Smith has really made an impact. I would thought it was very interesting that Xavier Alford is third string. And I think this, again, goes back to he's been banged up, has not yeah. played much. Um, he's a guy that you would anticipate if he gets healthy, he might eventually move into the starting role uh, and Max Williams shift back to the nickel. And that will depend on how well Jalen Smith plays there. But if you the, the biggest surprise, now not from what we've seen in camp, but if you were to tell me three weeks ago that Sierra Wright's going to be starting game yeah. one, I would have been shocked by that. But that just goes to show you the big jump that he's made. You know, yeah. that the media day, that first you know time talking with everybody, you know, just asking everybody, that was my one question I wanted to kind of phrase to everyone is, you know, who's making the biggest jump? And multiple guys talking about Sierra Wright and not just what he's doing on the field, but his maturity as well. I think that he's come a long way from where he was last year. And, you know, for him to be the starter is is a big move for him. And we'll see how deep the rotations go in the secondary as well, because I'm sure there's some guys they want to get some reps for. Zamarian Gordon's had a really good fall camp, you know, has been spoken of highly. So I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some opportunity to get out there. So maybe we'll see Max Williams go to nickel if that happens. So, yeah. so I, I'll be curious to see how they move the pieces around uh, on Saturday as well. Yeah, uh, just a couple of housekeeping notes. One, apparently the uh, YouTube comments aren't coming up. Uh, we won't be able to put them on the screen. I think Facebook is still uh, working. So if you're on Facebook and you want your comments, we can put up there. We can't put the YouTube ones up, but we'll we'll gather them and we can uh, answer those questions and stuff uh, at the end. And if you see us looking over there, yeah, the backyard brawl is going on and you have Keen Slovis playing quarterback for Pitt. So they're in the fourth quarter right now, tied at 24. Uh, Keen Slovis on one side and JT Daniels and Graham Harrell on the other side. So it's kind of funny. So this is a, a weird one. Um, linebackers, uh, we saw they, they would have sometimes they'd have three linebackers out there at the time. It seems like the top three are the top three, but they list Shane Lee and Raylan Goforth as like oars at the will spot. And then Eric Gentry, the freshman All American transfer from Arizona State, the big six foot six beanpole, he's the starter uh, at middle linebacker. Like, all by himself. So um, those three guys look like they're going to be the three linebackers and they'll play and, and shift around. That's what it seems like it's going to be. But that was the biggest surprise of the entire release to me was Eric Gentry being the starter, Shane Lee being an oar with Raylan Goforth. Again, Shane Lee. He's a captain. Banged up. <laughs> been banged up. That's so, true. Uh, and I, 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 I'm going to come back to it multiple times as we go through this, but I think that has been a, a big thing to take away from this depth chart is that we want you to prove yourself on the field and we got to see it consistently, you know, and that's the big thing they talked about with the left tackle position is, hey, you know, how, how's that going to be determined? Consistency. So it's being able to be on the field and be, you know, being able to showcase yourself. And that's not just on Saturdays when games come, but also during the week leading into it. Yeah. Uh, go to the defensive line. We can start on the, the rush end spot. You got Romello Height or Corey Foreman. That's, you know, something there. I thought it would be like Height maybe getting the starter. That's both those guys. At defensive tackle, you got more oars. Dejon Benton, Tyron Tulaney, who I've liked. I've, you know, he's not the biggest dude in the world, but I've liked what I've seen from him uh, when we get to, to watch him a little bit. And his nose tackle, uh, you have Stanley T or Brandon Peely. So, I mean, just showing you there's some depth and stuff there. And uh, at defensive end, Tuli Tulaney listed by himself, but he's got Nick Figueroa behind him. Nick Figueroa has been, you know, He's been a big contributor. Like when people talk about that, I think this looks like there's depth on the defensive line for me. You know, we'll see. But there's two guys that can play at every position that, you know, I think that they're going to be able to play. So I think it's interesting. I talked about on the offense side, pretty clear cut, you know, two cross on the line, three at the skill positions. The defensive side, you got two guys at, you know, the uh, most of the linebacker, the DB spots, and then you got three on some, you got four. For some of the defensive linemen. Yeah. So I, I think that that shows you it's depth, but it's there's not that separation. Yeah. So you don't have those superstars. I think it's very important. Probably the most notable thing for me on the defensive line was that Brandon Peely is an oar. 
Yeah, because I think he needs to have a bit make a big impact for USC to be at their best. Um, just the the skill set he has, the athletic ability that he has, the experience that he has. He needs to be a guy that is a contributor and not just a big body in the middle of the line. So we'll see, you know, if that comes to play. But you know, the defensive tackle, Earl Barquette being, you know. A third like, string, yeah, uh, you an know, or an like or with a walk on, you know, that's uh, and that's something we haven't really seen Earl Barquette really make his way up the depth chart that much. So, you know, that's one of the things that that kind of stood out as well. Uh, but you know, I think that those positions will be kind of figured out in the game more more than. In, in a practice, uh, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how deep they try to go there. Do you try to get Earl Barquette some snaps? Do you try to get, you know, Jamar Sacona or Kobe Pepe? Um, and some of the guys that aren't on the depth chart, you know, stood out to a lot of people. And, you know, where's Damani Jackson? Where's this person? Yeah. Where's that person? Where's Darwin Barlow? Um, and, you know, people talked about Rajon Davis being third string, but he's actually on the depth chart. And yeah. the other linebacker spots, the other the nickel, the cornerback spots, they didn't have a third-string guy, but they wanted to get him on the depth chart. I think that was, they were purposely trying to get his name on there. So even though people were saying, oh, he's third-string, how could they? I think the fact that he's on the depth chart is actually a positive for him. Sure. So, you know, that just a couple of takeaways there from offense defense. But special teams, that was one of the biggest surprises as well. Yeah, real quick, I just want to say um, that – I think you're going to see a rotation on the defensive line like Shotgun alluded to, but this is a lot deeper of a defense. I mean, I think I asked a bunch of the guys, Alex Grinch, a couple of weeks ago about it and, the, you know, looking at the spring, what you had till now, I mean, the fact that you can list, you know, like Zamarian Gordon is someone that, you know, we, I think has done really well. And he's like, you know, second, third string kind of guy. And there, there's there's a lot of dudes, I think, and especially on the defensive line. So it's, it's deeper than we thought. How well, well these guys are going to perform? I think that's something we got to look for. I, I think it's a, a good point because last year you had, you know, talking about Zamir and Gordon or talking about Anthony Beavers, you had freshmen that, hey, those guys can maybe control the Brown line. or whatever, yeah. But they were just bodies for you for practice because those weren't guys that you were going to trust to go into a game unless it got to the end of the season, you run out of bodies, which is kind of what happened yeah. for some of the positions. But the fact that those guys have taken a step forward. You, you often see the biggest jump is that first year to second year, you at USC's that secondary in particular, but then the bodies that they were able to bring in on the defensive line, obviously it's still a concern, and we don't know if those guys will make plays, but at least now if somebody's not making plays, you got another option. Yeah. Whereas last year it didn't feel like that was the case. It's like, well, we got to run this guy out again because you know who else are you going to put in there? Are you going to put in a freshman that we don't you know have that much confidence in? And if they can stay healthy, you know, a guy like Solomon Bird, who's you know listed as an or third string, but I think he's a guy that can make some plays as well. Solomon Tulialapupu, you know, those guys that are listed down the depth chart a little bit, I think are still some guys that can contribute for them rather than you know your third string offensive lineman right now. Right. No. If, you, if they get in the game, you feel like, oh, crap, things are really bad right now. The third-string defense alignment, you're like, we'll see what they can do. Maybe they can make some plays. Yeah, I think if there's still questions about the defensive side of the ball, but there's a lot more depth. This isn't like 2000, what was it, 2013, like Ed Orgeron, you know, against Stanford or what, when he took over and they had to play like 12 guys. Or yeah, well. so that was uh, – it's not going to be like that. Like they have they have a bunch of dudes. Will they perform at a high level? We'll have to wait and see. But there are bot – there's – Ranked bodies, you know, guys that are, you know, were highly rated players and, you know, recruited guys coming out of high school to play there. Uh, the biggest surprise on special teams is that, you know, Alex Stadhouse, who went in the transfer portal after Parker Lewis went in the portal, uh, came back. Uh, he's won the kickoff job, but he's going to be second string to Dennis Lynch, who's a walk on kicker. Um, Will Rose is going to take over as the holder. Aiden Sleep Dalton, the, 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 the uh, Australian. Uh, player came, that came in just a few weeks ago. It seemed like he had to fly to like London to like get his visa to come into the United States. Uh, very weird, but he you know, he actually exists. We've seen him out there, and unlike uh, Atticus Bertram, who we don't know existed at all, he's here. We've seen him wearing number forty-two, got his uh, flowing golden lock. So he's going to be the punter, uh, and then Jack. Uh, I don't even know who that is. Casasente is uh, what is that? Uh, Jack Casasente, who has a flowing mullet. Uh, oh, I remember seeing him. Okay, yeah. He's a snapper. <laughs> I think I took a picture of him or something. So yeah, but I don't even know who Lin that is. But I was like, I don't know who's that guy. He's a long snapper. So if you don't hear his name, that's a positive. Right. That's true. They, the USC has been blessed with good long snappers, um, but they usually had like two long snappers on scholarship. So you better be good. <laughs> they don't have that, <laughs> that anymore. Has been the, that was the case under John Baxter. But Dennis Lynch winning the kicking job. That's that's pretty cool. He's been more consistent apparently. 
Yeah, that was the the most interesting one there. Um, disappointing a little bit um, when you release a depth chart and there's not the returners on there, just because I want to see who's going to be that first playmaker to touch the ball. Uh, yeah. You know, on that opening kickoff, if USC wins the toss, uh, I think they'll want to take the ball. But yeah, I think that the, you know the returners are are going to be interesting to see who is there. But you know, Dennis Lynch, you know, USC's had this problem before actually, where they have a scholarship kicker. And the walk-on does better, or they yeah. have two scholarship kickers, and the guy who's the starter. That's why you don't give like a crap load of special team scholarships because you might have a walk-on that's better than some of these guys, you know. But you know, Alex Stathouse was perfect for them last year, so I, I, I had confidence that he would win the job. But yeah, I, I think that tells you a lot about Dennis Lynch and the leg that he has, even though in that small package, dynamite leg. Uh, was he like five six? I think is what he's officially listed as, something like that. Five, I think eight, so. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, he's 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 a character, and everyone on the team loves him. So good to see him. You know, win it out. Alex Stadhouse will take out. They'll have the kickoff duties. So we'll see. You know, if uh, they need to make any adjustments there as the season progresses. Unfortunately for USC, they have had kickers go down in the past yep. uh, with injuries. So hopefully that doesn't happen. But we'll see uh, how it plays out. All right. Uh, well, that's our depth chart. Analysis, we'll give a few thoughts on Rice, and then we'll start taking questions. We do have a caller in the queue. Uh, but the Rice Owls, they were 4-8 and eight last year. Um, same record as USC. Kind of a different trajectory since then. Uh, Mike Bloomgren, the uh, former Stanford offensive coordinator under David Shaw. I talked to Austin Jones this week about that a little bit because he was – Austin Jones came to Stanford right after uh, Bloomgren left to go to – take the head coaching job at Rice. Uh, but he said, you know, there's a similar, they're trying to be like what Stanford, you know, what Stanford was. I mean, it's like a, it's sort of like a way to kind of warm yourself up to play Stanford, I think, when you're playing Rice, there's going to be some similarities. Uh, so that's a positive. Uh, I asked um, Austin Jones, did you talk to the defensive coaches all about what you've seen? He's like, no, I didn't do that or anything yet. So, uh, but you know, they're, this was a team I talked to one of the, it's hard to find a, a, a beat writer for Rice. There's just not that many people that are covering uh, this team. It didn't seem, seem like the Houston Chronicle like had somebody specific on it and stuff, uh, which kind of sucks. But I did find someone where I'm going to post uh, something a little bit later, uh, kind of a behind enemy lines, know your foe sort of thing, answering some of the questions I had. But um, in general, this was a team that had a lot of injuries last year and a lot of those guys are supposed to be back. So I think, I think there's some optimism that they're going to be, you know, perform better than what they did uh, a year ago. Uh, there's some experience on the offensive line. I think some experience on the defensive side of the ball. They got Christian McCaffrey's little brother, Luke McCaffrey, right, who was at uh, Nebraska as a quarterback. That didn't really work. And he's now uh, at Rice as a wide receiver. Uh, so he'll be someone that you're like, oh, that's – and that's McCaffrey. You got like, oh, there's Jerry Rice's kid. That's like uh, Christian McCaffrey's brother. There'll be some fun dudes on the uh, on the sideline there. But I don't know. I mean, this is I I don't I don't know a ton. I just I tried to find out what you could, uh, which wasn't you know this wasn't an easy opponent to kind of scout. But um, any thoughts on the Rice Owls coming to the Coliseum? I mean, I think it's a good uh, tune up for going into Stanford, just because you're going to see similar. It's that he brought you know Bloomgren brought that intellectual brutality that yes. Stanford used to have. They're going to run the ball. They don't run the ball very well. But they're going to run the ball and they're going to control the clock, which is much different than a lot of the offenses you see in the in the country. And Stanford has gone away from that a little bit as well in the last couple of years. But I think it is a good tune-up for you know what Stanford can present. Um, and you know they did have Jake Bailey from St. John Bosco, yeah, yeah, one of yeah. the top receivers, but he transferred to SMU this oh, offseason. Okay. Uh, so yeah, they, they haven't been very good. They won four games last year, which was a step up. You know, they I think they have won three, uh, three or less the or three or fewer the last three or four years before yeah. that. So, um, you know, they're about to move to the American Conference, and it's going to be even worse for them there. So it'll be. I mean, this is kind of a put up or shut up year for Bloomgren. It seems like to say, hey, are you going to be the guy to lead us into the next conference? But it's also similar to Stanford. It's an academic school, tough to get in, all those type of things. So they have to recruit a certain type of player, and that's why they went and got Bloomgren. And it just hasn't, you know, they haven't had that much success, even though you're in the hotbed of Texas recruiting and everything there. But, uh, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. They gave up, I think it was 36 points a game last year, which is why I think USC is going to blow them out. It's going to yeah. be a bunch of points on the board. But they'll control the clock and keep it, you know, they may try to slow the game down in that regard. So you'll see some similar things than what, what you may have seen from the, you know, the – 
Jim Harbaugh early David Shaw years at Stanford is just as far as what they can do. They don't have the same type of playmakers that Stanford has. No, and Marcus Duyasasopo, who you might yep. remember around, he's the offensive coordinator over there. So that's going to be kind of interesting. And I, I think you're right. It's sort of one of those tests where, um, you know, if someone punches you in the mouth, like even if it's a small person, like that, you know, you could, you know, it's like if it's, you know, there's there's something to be said to like standing up to, you know, taking a punch. No matter who it's from, and then when you have the David versus Goliath thing, that if that first punch draws a little blood, and you're like, oh, you give them some hope, and you give them some, hey, we could we can hang with these guys, you know. So I think you're gonna see Rice take a few punches, and can USC take it? We don't. We've heard all about all this stuff going on in the off season, but what's Mike Tyson's thing is like everyone has a plan to get punched in the mouth. You could get punched in the mouth by Rice, and maybe it's not as hard as a Stanford punch or an Oregon State punch or a Utah punch, but it's still a punch. And how do you respond to that? And I think that's going to be the big thing for USC is, you know, they're going to try to lean on you. They're going to, USC got pushed around a lot last year. And if you were on this team and that's still some, your mentality, like other teams can kind of push us around, you know, Rice is going to try to do that on some level. So uh, I, I think it's going to be more of a, Hey, this is we're going to do what we do. Um, I asked, you know, Lincoln Riley about uh, about Rice, and he talked a little bit, but there weren't a lot of questions this week about the opponent. You know, uh, people kind of looked at me funny when I asked about Rice because it was like, well, you know, you you want to know what's going on here. He didn't do the Clay Helton thing where he like listed everybody on the, uh, you know, talked about everyone and glowed. That's usually and the Tuesday opening statements, right? So he did, yeah. Lincoln Riley didn't do that. I asked Lincoln on Tuesday about it, like it was the last question of the scrum, and then. Because the scrubs are kind of limited, I got some looks. And I was just like, well, do we want to hear about the opponent a little bit? Um, but, yeah, it's going to be more about USC. Uh, but you, I don't. I think this is one of those things where you can start boat racing this team and put up, you know, the 21, 28 points in the first quarter and just kind of take, a, take them out of the game and get a bunch of guys playing time and things like that. But if you're in some sort of slog and it's like 17-14 in the middle of the second quarter, like – that's going to be a bit of a problem. So I think this is a good opportunity to sort of like fine tune everything, all the stuff you worked on against yourself. You can work on it against a live opponent. Um, you kind of know what they're going to do. And the the side benefit is probably look similar to what Stanford's doing, uh, you know, with different level of athletes. Yeah. I, I don't know. One of the more intriguing matchups is they have a five foot five running back. Yeah. Who, Those guys who, get who probably, who they'll probably try to get in space. Yeah. So I want to see six foot six Eric Gentry trying to cover a five foot five running back. That would be kind of fun. Uh, he's got those long arms, just chasing down. You know, like <laughs> long arms come in handy. Like as I'm getting older and I'm playing <laughs> playing volleyball, yeah, I play a bunch of volleyball more. As I, you're getting older, you've been I'm, getting older for I've a long getting, time. I get, we're all getting older every single second of every single day. But going out there, like, I got long arms. Like I can touch balls. I get like people are like, "How did you get that?" It's like ah, I got long arms. You know, so it helps. Uh, Eric Gentry, like if you you know you're like trying to run away to get that jitterbug, like you can reach out and get him. Like you're maybe the distance between you and like you know if Shane Lee is the same distance, he can reach that distance and kind of and tackle a guy. So that, that will be a fun thing to watch to see what he's able to do. He's probably going to get in a lot of uh, some of the passing lanes and bat balls down. Uh, I'm going to give you over under one and a half uh, deflected passes by Eric Gentry. This is. A, I'm gonna take the under. Maybe take the under. I'm gonna take the one deflection, one interception. What now? Oh, I like that's it. Doesn't that count as a no, pass? No, it doesn't count. It doesn't as a count. Deflection. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna go over on that. One. I think it's. Go, I think it's gonna knock a couple of these down out of the air. Um, all can right. We, can we bring Jack into the show now? I don't know if he's talked yet. Oh, Jack. Hey, Jack. What's up? Sorry. <laughs> Hi. No. Uh, no. I, I've been. You guys have been just crushing the discussion. There's one thing I want to do. Elaborate on about rice and it's something that shotgun mentioned that they're they control the ball i mean they were top 10 in the nation last season for for time of possession throughout each game they held the ball for over like well over 33 minutes a game so i i mean we're gonna do predictions i think later in the show yes but, i mean rice is gonna hold on to the ball i'm sure they're gonna look to do the same thing at the coliseum it's gonna be a hot game so i think it might be a little slower than people expect it to be rice is like you mentioned they run the ball they're not fantastic at it and they've got Broussard, who rushed for like I think just under 600 yards last year, like six touchdowns. But they're going to hold on to the ball for a lot longer than I think SC fans are going to want them to, because I think that that's kind of the only way that they can stay in games is by just staying on the field for as long as possible. Yeah, the quarterback's been around. I think it's like third year starting, but he's just been he hasn't played a whole season because he gets hurt or whatever. So like you got that experienced quarterback, maybe they're able to do some things. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, the, they hold on to the ball also because they give up. Big plays on defense. Yeah, yeah. You give up 36 points a game. That means you're giving up a uh, 50 burger 
every once in a while here. So um, I would be very surprised if USC doesn't put up one of those two. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Well, why don't we start this? We haven't done a live call in a while, and I'm usually not running this. Like since Keely left, I don't know if we've done one, so I'm gonna do it. So hopefully this all works okay. Uh, we're gonna indoctrinate Jack into the live calling, and this is a you know it's a call caller that we've had on before. I'm gonna go to a buddy Dave in Iowa if this works. Um, Dave, can you hear us? Maybe not. Do you have him on mute? I do not. I could try it. Oh, no, he was not. It's going swimmingly. Dave, are you there? Hello. Oh, can you, can you hear me? It's really faint. Turn him up. Let me turn him up a little bit, see if I can do that. Uh, I think he's... Um, do you want it? There's the Skype lever over here. Just put it all the way to the top. It's a... Yeah, put it all the way to the top. Dave, can you hear us now? Yes. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a little bit. Yeah. Now. We got gotcha. you. Awesome. Well, first off, Jack, welcome to uh, live uh, Tunnel Vision. Glad, I'm happy you're here. But so in terms of questions, of course, I have two. One, shotgun. Who's going to have more snaps on Saturday? Romello Height or Corey Foreman? And then for Ryan, um, two, a couple weeks ago, uh, CJ Stroud from Ohio State gave his comments on players should be getting a share of the Big Ten. Um, TV revenue deal. In my opinion, I don't think that would be right because at that point, you might as well say it like it is, call this professional sports associated with universities. And and no offense to the college kids, it's not a fair world. You're, in my opinion, or from my perspective, you're lucky to be getting the NIL deals as it is. What are your thoughts? All right, thanks, Dave. Uh, do you want to do? I'll COVID? start with. I think it'll be Corey Foreman that'll get more snaps, just because he's been the healthiest guy of the two uh, more recently. So you know, and again, that goes back to the you know I put a comment on the P about if you're asking why so and so down here, why don't we not see so and so? I'm like I said, look back. How, did they practice? Were they full participants throughout the entire camp? Because I think that played into a lot of it. And people go, what about Corey Foreman? He's on here and he's an or as a starter. I was like, well, the other guy's also been banged up and not been able to. And Corey Foreman was the number one player in the country. Super talented. Um, I, you know, Probably pretty equal, I would think. Uh, and now it would depend on you know just how things kind of play out. And if they want to try to get some other guys some opportunities. Do you want to get Solomon Tuliala-Pupu in there? Do you want to get Julian Simon in that rush spot? You know, how are they divvying up because of the way Rice is a you know is a a, a run game uh, a run game type of team? Are you going to have the Russians on there? Are you going to put an extra defense alignment on there? How are you going to kind of go about it that way? Uh, so I think it'll probably be pretty equal, but I think Corey Foreman might have a couple more. Yeah, well, interesting. Um, as far as like getting a cut of the uh, the Big Ten deal, when you're going to throw around run numbers like that. It's going to just, it shows the glaring, you know, there's a, <laughs> a glaring disparity of what the, the players are getting. I think it's not going to be because of the Big Ten deal, but at some point there's going to be some sort of, there'll be something where players are getting actual money from the school instead of getting money from NIL. Even like what USC is doing with Boulevard. I mean, there's there's a closer connection between Boulevard and USC than I've seen with like other sort of like collectives and stuff. So trying to kind of understand how that all works. But um yeah, I mean, there's, you know, I don't know if the Big Ten will have enough money. You got to like have a mini golf in your, your you know, facility and like uh, interactive <laughs> fountains and, and things like that. So um, the money goes away pretty quickly. No, but it it will help if, if it gets to the point where, okay, schools are allowed to pay more than a stipend. There's some sort of like every, every student athlete can get 25 grand or something. Well, it's going to be easier when USC is in the Big Ten, if that comes down, like okay, well, we have this big media deal. You're gonna pay. You're gonna pay them that. Uh, and it might be harder in like the Mountain West or whatever's left of the Pac-12 or the Big 12 if they don't have the same kind of media deals. But I'm definitely not opposed to that. But like, it's definitely the more you do this, the more complicated things get with taxes. And we'll we'll see kind of how this NIL stuff um, 
plays out and then what do you do at the next level? Are you going to like pay players like directly from the school? I'm just wondering who's going to be the first uh, college football player to be arrested for tax evasion or something. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I th I think like that's going to happen because you know there's a delay with taxes, but a player's got a bunch of money last year, right? So if you got if you're all so you got a hundred grand, um, I mean, who's you know was it Jordan Addison and uh, who else has like the Mercedes from like Tuli Tupelo? Tuli, yeah, they got the Mercedes and stuff. Well, you're you're getting a lease of the Mercedes, like that's probably going on your income. Like as you leased the car that would cost you $40,000 or whatever it would be for like the, the year, probably not that much for a one year lease, but, um, and that's going to be listed as income on your taxes and you don't get any cash of what, you know, when I went on the prices right and one, like you get a bunch of prizes that was all counted as income. So like I had cash that I won on the wheel, so you couldn't offset it. But if if there are people that like win cars and they can't afford it because you got to pay the taxes and stuff on it, so I'm curious to see how that plays out. Especially if you're given something like a car, I didn't even think about that till now. That you got to pay taxes on it. You don't have like the money. You're not given money on a separate you know aspect to pay the taxes. So yeah, I see that subtle flex there. Oh yeah, when I went on the Prices Right one, you know, just pointing I did it out crush there. the show. It was awesome. <laughs> You can uh, Google it if you want. Yeah, that's going to come up. Uh, the fact that you have the Alston ruling and USC's uh, all student athletes basically are getting around $6,000, I believe it is right now. So, you know, players are already getting paid outside of the NIL. They're getting paid by the school. The big thing is schools don't want to do that because of the tax break that they get because of it. Yeah. Because they are not, they're considered amateurs and not employees. And if they are employees, then suddenly that tax break goes away uh, from the federal government. And then that becomes a huge ordeal for uh, universities and colleges. So that's the big, big hurdle right there. And that's the big thing that is trying, that is keeping all the schools from trying to have. Uh, players be included as employees. Otherwise, I think, you know, if the federal government said, don't worry about it, we won't, if they were somehow just to write a law that basically still allowed them to have that, uh, I'm blanking on the actual tax credit that it is, but if they were allowed to have that, then they would already be included as employees, I think. Gotcha. All right. Uh, Jack, do you have any questions you want to pull up? We got our Facebook people, or you want to do. Uh... Yeah, we've seen some good questions. I think there's one from Facebook. Bob right now says, can we expect more than 100 offensive snaps from SC against Rice? Ooh. It is very difficult to get to 100 snaps. Yeah. It does not happen very often. Um, uh, offensive snaps or defensive snaps, either one. The Off the top of my head, I don't think USC's done it in the last six years when I've been charting. Um no, they they did win Sark. So when Steve the, Sarkisian the first took game over against uh, Arkansas State, I, I think, think it was. was Arkansas. He talked about we want to run like a hundred plays a game, and they did against I think it was Arkansas State, something like that. And then the next day, week they played Stanford. It was like fifty three plays or something. Yeah, it was like a half of what they were. And it was also you realize you can run a hundred plays when you're getting your twos and threes in there, but then you're like, okay, if we run a, if we if that is our tempo that we're running. One, okay, that's that's 100 plays on offense. That's now maybe you're at 50 if you're dominating a game on defense. Now that's 75 on defense you're running just because there's just more plays, more series that are taking place. Yeah. Uh, so then the impact of that, now you're running 75 plays to 80 plays to 90 plays throughout an entire season. So what impact does that have on your starters? So you realize and you think, oh, okay, we'll run this tempo – and then you realize, well, okay, this is going to wear us down. And that was an issue with the Chip Kelly teams is their defenses got worn down because of how often they were on the field. Yeah. You know, that was all that, that talking point that, that was there. So, you know, USC has had some players go over 100 snaps in a game, but that is with special teams included. I don't think, like I said, I don't think that Sark game was probably the last time that they went over 100 snaps uh, for an offense. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, we're not getting very many comments uh, in general, so make sure you guys are leaving your comments, whether that's about the depth chart or the game coming up this Saturday. Any more live callers, Ryan? Uh, we got no live callers right now, so but you can call in 5124-TUNNEL, no waiting, if you want to uh, call in. I know there's a lot of people watching. It's funny, people are like in the comments talk, you know, <laughs> talking about what's happened in the, the backyard brawl. They're like, oh, JT Daniels got hurt, or oh, Keaton Slovis got sacked, or whatever, that kind of stuff going on. Um, but yeah, I think... Do you have some questions that you want to? Yeah, so-called ad, similar to the you know time of possession talk, is if Rice is more of a time of possession, a run team, does the defense with a nickel back and a rush edge on the field make sense? And I think that's why 
you talked about Shane Lee and Raylan Goforth being oars and uh, Gentry. I think all three of those guys will be on the field. Yes. I don't think you're necessarily going to see the nickel all the time. I think you'll see that when they go third and long. But I think you know they're going to want to get an extra linebacker on the field. I think the rushing will still be there. Uh, it just you know, I, I talk about you know Corey Foreman and Ramel Height. Those guys are known for their pass rush ability. Corey Foreman was really good against the run last year too. At, you know, as far as his grade for PFF and whatnot, he was one of the top on the team. So you know, but playing the run is not their forte. It's getting after the passer. So then, is there someone else that you want to get on the field instead? But I think you're going to want to keep both those guys out there because that's that's the guys that need to be playmakers for you going forward. So I think the rush will stay on the field. The nickel, though, I think will come off. I think you'll see some three linebacker sets, some three three, you know, maybe some you know four three looks, some different things that they mix up, uh, you know, depending on how they use the rush in. And that's one of the things we're going to learn this first game. Yeah, uh, is how they use different people because the the game plans will always be different. You're going to play Stanford different than you're going to play Washington State. You're going to use Talanoa Hufunga as a linebacker against Washington State. You're not going to use him as a linebacker against uh, Stanford or some other team like that. So, you know, the the things will change as the season progresses. But I think in this game in particular, you'll see three linebackers out yeah, there at times. I agree with you. I think you're going to see a bunch of that probably for the first two weeks. Uh, you might see it against Stanford as well. Then we got a really good question coming in. Can you describe the changes in team culture between when Coach Helton was here and Dante Williams' interim time and now Lincoln Riley? Uh, I mean, I think you, we kind of well documented what was going on with with Clay Helton. They're just, I mean, the, the word accountability comes up a lot now. There wasn't a lot of that. The discipline, the players sort of were able to run the show. If there was, you know, there was more clicks within the program. I mean, you, there, the big one was, you know, the Texas kids and the California kids. Uh, even before that, like when Porter Gustin was there, there was clicks in the weight room where he had like a group of you know, a dozen or so guys that kind of followed him and did what his regiment was instead of doing what the weight, you know, the strength staff was saying at the time. There was just a lot of that. And just, you know, players were left to kind of do what they wanted to do. And they didn't have as much demand on their time. And there was a lot of that. And I think with Dante Williams, he tried to address a lot of those things. But there was, it's so ingrained. Like, I, I don't think... Uh, any of that was going to fly. He tried to do some stuff. They looked pretty good that first week when they played Washington State, and then things went downhill um, after that. And then, you know, now with Lincoln Riley, I mean, you're just hearing about, I mean, talking to Alex Grinch yesterday, you know, they're pushing these guys physically in practice. You know, like the workouts are longer, the the practices are longer. There's there's more they're doing, but even when they're not, like there's more meetings, there's more there's more, you know, things where you're testing these players. He's trying to test them and push them mentally on the days where they're not practicing as hard. Tuesdays, Wednesdays are the big hard practices, but Thursday they're going to do a lot more stuff with their walkthroughs and kind of, uh, you know, test them mentally, make sure they're watching enough film, do all those things. So I feel like across the board they're working harder. Uh, the accountability is certainly there where there's, you know, if you're missing time, you're not going to be on the depth chart where you can't be the love of somebody's life and <laughs> not you know, not be practicing at all and still be starting in games like that stuff is over like none of that stuff is going on so you can without us watching like the full practices like just when you talk to people you can feel it like there's there's sometimes talking points are coming across and people are like told hey we should talk about this it doesn't feel like that at all it's like it's a lot more organic there if if someone's going to talk about jordan addison or raylick brown on their own and you didn't bring it up i mean that's something because they feel that in practice. You know, if if it's a question specific, that's one thing. But people are bringing up a lot of this stuff on their own, and that kind of tells me uh, it's really real. It's like it's you can feel it kind of behind the scenes. I think Dante tried to take some steps in the right direction, but I think it took a complete overhaul of the roster. I yeah. think you've got a ton of players out, um, and not necessarily saying that people were bad seeds or anything. But when you completely overhaul the roster, then you kind of start from fresh. And now, granted, you bring in a new coach staff. That's going to be a little bit fresh. That's going to be fresh as well. But the players then have seventy guys or sixty guys that they already know as well. So you're kind of ganging up sixty on ten players versus coaches, and you can can enforce your will a little bit there as players. But when guys just are like, "Hey, we think it's better for you to find somewhere else." and you bring in 20 new transfers and you bring in 10 new freshmen, then suddenly the roster is completely different and the coaches can start from fresh and they don't feel like they're having, to, having any pushback from, the, from the, uh, the locker room. And I think the, 
that the locker room is completely bought in. I think guys just were tired of what happened last yeah. couple of years and like, you know, this new staff and they got excited by the hire. You know, maybe if they, you bring in a Rander, you bring in someone else, uh, Matt Campbell, maybe that's not as exciting to the returning players. But Lincoln Riley coming in, especially offense guys, are like hell yeah, let's go. Yeah, I want to. I want to play for this, and I want to buy completely in. I want to go and you know do my thing. And then the coaches have to you know prove themselves to the players along the way. And I think that that's been the case, at least talking with different players and whatnot. So I think it's just slowly built upon itself. Uh, whereas Dante was trying to do some of the right things, but just. It, it's something that's very difficult to do when you're three weeks into a season. You know, you are, like you said, there's already some factions in the locker room. You're trying to bring everybody together and it's just not happening. And the results on the field aren't following. Then, it, you know, it makes it that much more difficult to, to make any changes there, even with the small things he was trying to do and was able to do some of those things. I think it set the, laid the groundwork a little bit for Lincoln Riley to come in and just completely wipe everything away and say, all right, let's go fresh. And so far it's worked. And the talk about players hanging out with each other off the field, those type of things, uh, I, I think those are really important because, you know, you talk to players and talk to who are they talking to who are they hanging out with is it just your position group is it just guys from where you're from it sounds like guys are hanging out with just kind of everyone yeah you know, shane lee's going golfing with offensive linemen and stuff <laughs> like that like small things like that you don't put much stock in necessarily but are are just kind of identifiers of a different culture than what was at usc previously it's funny i jack and i did instant analysis uh, yesterday and just waiting for guys to get interviewed. I, I was going to talk to Austin Jones. No one was really going to get him. So I was kind of waiting for him. And Romello Height comes over. And the two of them, you know, they're both transfers. They both came in from Power 5 programs, different sides of the ball. and Different sides I, of the country. Different sides of the country. Austin Jones is like my little brother. And then and Romello comes up. So he's sort of like a – and Romello comes up to him. He's like, this is my little brother. He was talking about him being his little brother, put his hand on his head. Like this – and I was just laughing at these two dudes. And I'm like – they didn't know each other a few months ago, you know, and like they're like that was real. Like that wasn't some they weren't doing an interview. Like this was off to the side and they were just talking like that. And I think that's 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 big for the chemistry stuff. And what you were talking about, coaches proving themselves like Lincoln Riley's proved that like he's had Heisman Trophy winners. He's gone to the college football playoff. And I think when the players hear like, hey, you're going to stay an extra two hours that you weren't staying last year. And they're like, well, why? Because. This is what you do to win. And they're like, okay. Like, that, how do you say no to that? Like, this is, we won and this is what we had to do. So they're like, all right, well, you know, we, we didn't win and we weren't doing that. So that kind of makes sense. And there has been a leadership vacuum for almost a half decade. Yeah. Just where we've gone since Sam Darnold. It's like, where's the leader to step up? Sam Darnold wasn't that guy. He wasn't that vocal guy to get everybody in place. Who is going? And it's been just, you know, we've been asking, it feels like every year. Okay, is Elijah Vera Tucker going to be that guy? Well, he's not that. He's not. That's not the vocal guy you need either. And they just haven't had anyone. Well, Shane Lee comes in, and the coaching staff tells him, "We need you to be vocal. We need you to step up." And he does in the first meeting. You have Caleb Williams come in. Everyone gravitates towards him, and he is the you know. And uh, I think it was Jordan Addison said that you know if it's, he, someone needs a ride, Caleb Williams will make sure that you get a ride, type of thing. Like just the small things that you know the leaders do that USC didn't have in the past. So coaching staff, but the coaching staff addressed leadership issues by getting the right players coming in as well. So, you know, I, I think it's kind of all, it's an accumulation of all those things, but I, I think that there's a lot of different pieces that have led to what looks like a good culture for USC. Yeah. Hey, last year it looked like USC had fine culture going into the season too. Uh, until they started losing, and then we heard, started hearing about everything else. So we'll see uh, when the uh, adversity strikes how how things change a little bit too. I'll tell you what, Keaton Slovis and JT Daniels don't want to let each other win at all. They're they're, they're duking it out. Another good question uh, came. He's seen uh, this comes from DFI on YouTube. He's seen a lot of top ten returning offensive line rankings from a bunch of different spots. He's wondering why SC's on the list. And I guess I can kind of start on this one. I think it's consensus that they've got one of the better interior offensive lines in the nation, but it's kind of hard to rank a returning offensive line top 10 when you don't know who's going to play at left tackle, the blind side of the quarterback. So I think that's kind of, that it's kind of a clear answer. And I, I don't think that anyone would dispute that SC is one of the better interior offensive lines, but there's still questions at tackle. I mean, it, it's, they're either near the top or they're not on a list. Like it, you know, the, yeah. for pro football focus, I think they're in the top five. Uh, for other ones, there's like, for some reason, there's this this um, you know just 
this belief that USC doesn't have a good offensive line, and part of that is because they've struggled to recruit those tackles. Yeah. But they getting Brett Elon to come back and getting Andrew Voorhees to come back when both those guys could have left and pursued uh, you know other opportunities, that was huge for them because you have experience at the center position and you have a mauler six-year guy in Andrew Voorhees that can play guard or tackle if you need him to. And he's one of the guys that's been on a lot of watch lists and you know uh, all-American teams and stuff like that. So yeah, the interior and Justin Didich, you know, obviously being a captain now and just getting his opportunity, and everyone's just talking about how he's even taking a step uh, up in his game. So the question just comes down to the tackles. So you know, it's a big question, and so that will determine how good this offensive line can be, and you know, the offensive line, how creative. Lincoln Riley will have to be as the season progresses if the offensive line isn't holding up its uh, end of the bargain. You know what's really hard to do? It's hard to know if an offensive lineman is good or not. Like, we all watch the game. You're watching a game. Are you, you're, oh, Keaton Slovens just threw a touchdown pass. You're not watching what the blocks are going on, what's going, like, you, you just, it's not, it's not easy to watch that. And I had an SID tell me years ago, um, they were putting, I think it was something like on the cover of the spring guide about uh, this, you know, center or somebody being a Remington like award uh, watch list guy, like before like watch lists were like a big deal. And his theory was sports writers who vote on this stuff don't know who's good. We have to tell them who's good. Like this guy's good. He's a really good, you know, um, he's, he's a really good center. You should watch him. Like, oh, okay. He's probably a good center. And if you don't say that, they don't really know. Um, the good thing about, you know, if you're going to watch reps and look at the line and see what they do, like Pro Football Focus does that, it's not an exact science. I mean, there's different schemes or like, okay, that they, this guy might get graded well, but he did the wrong thing because he, he didn't have to block anyone that play, but he should have blocked that guy and the, there was a sack. Like stuff like that is not, you know, if you don't even know what the assignments are, I think some of that's hard to do. It's just hard to judge what the offensive linemen are. You know that those guys have a lot of starts. There's a lot of reps. There's a lot of snaps. Uh, you know, there's... Something to be said for how much time you have playing on the field and, and being in the trenches. Um, so I agree with what Jack said. I think you trust the guys on the interior of the offensive line. I think you like Cortland Ford. I think you like Jonah Monheim, what their, their potential is. And a guy like Bobby Haskins comes in and has played a whole bunch of, you know, a whole bunch of games. But even if you have like five guys that are individually good, they have to play together too. And so it's a good thing that these guys, you know, there's a lot of snaps together, but you know, the, a, a lot of the people that the old football, you know, uh, analogies, whatever, you know, it's like, you know, it's five fingers on a hand. Like it has to work together. If you have all the fingers doing different things, it doesn't work. If you make a fist or do whatever you're going to do, you need the offensive line to be playing together. So it's just hard to judge. So if you're going to, so someone ranked the offensive line at the top 10, like I don't, I wouldn't put the nickel of stock into that. I, I, that doesn't matter to me at all. I've heard really good things from the offensive linemen about where they feel like they are, uh, where they feel like the group is. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's positive. You know, one of the things that I was told at one point was that, you know, Clay McGuire last year really taught them how to strain, how to strain and finish blocks, and do all those things. And then Josh Henson has come in and added technique even more to that uh, so that they feel like they can be even better than they were last year. Uh, now, granted, you got to figure out the tackle positions. And, you know, can Jonah Monheim and Cortland Ford take a step up in their game? You know, because both of those guys – started the season, and then both of them didn't finish as the starters at the end of the year. So Cortland Ford had some injuries. Jonah Monheim struggled, and Jalen McKenzie took over. Can those guys bounce back from last year and be better this year? And if they can, then this offensive line could be really good, could be a strength. And with the skill position players that they have on offense, this could be a deadly offense. Yeah, for sure. Uh, poor uh, JT Daniels. Pick six that went off the receivers. <laughs> like, literally hit him here. He's not throwing the USC wide receivers anymore. No, he is not. He's but not I mean, throwing a Michael Pittman who catches everything. You don't expect hit, throwing a strike and turning it into a pick six, but, ooh, that was, that's a rough one. Right after Keaton Slovis scored a touchdown, too. Yeah, too bad for West Virginia. Another great question from YouTube comes from Steve. First of all, Shotgun, welcoming you back to Los Angeles, but then also asking, do you guys think that Travis Dye will get significantly more carries, or are you expecting it to be evenly split? Obviously, talking about just the first half, I think Steve's assuming it's going to be a blowout in the second half, but do you think that Travis Dye has supplanted himself as like the starter who's going to get the majority of carries in the first half? I would have said yes before the yesterday's uh, depth chart and Austin Jones being getting the or. So I, at that, that makes me think at least to begin the season. And again, you don't want to grind these guys down against Rice. Right. You don't want to give somebody 30 carries against Rice. You want them fresh for, 
you know, Oregon State in four weeks. You know, when you that's when you start feeling the body a little bit. Um, so I, I don't think that they're going to – I think it will be pretty low impact as far as one player getting just a, a bulk uh, of the, the carries or whatnot. Yeah. I think – I mean, the fact that we got to talk to Austin Jones yesterday, yeah, I think he's going to get pretty much splitting stuff with Travis Dye. And then, you know, you see if the game gets out of hand, what happens there. We got a comment from Guy on Facebook. He says he thinks that they're going to have USC is going to have two hundred yard wide receivers on Saturday. He says if we agree, who do we think that those two are going to be? I mean, probably Mario Williams and Jordan Addison. I would go with. Um, it seems like the easy pick, so I'm going to yeah, go easy. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with Brendan Rice, and I'm going to go Brendan Rice and Mario Williams. Okay, Jordan Addison doesn't get one hundred. Wow, wow, that would be interesting. That would if he was like third and receiving, like the guy won the Belichickoff. But also, Mario Williams is going to be someone that you get bailed. Like, if if Caleb Williams is feeling uncomfortable at all, he's probably going to be looking for number four. So, I think that's why he's going to get some. Yeah. Well, I mean, Mario Williams, before Jordan Addison transferred in, like we, everyone was so excited to watch Mario Williams, and he puts up two touchdowns in the spring game. It almost feels like he's getting a little bit forgotten about now that Jordan Addison has transferred It's in. tough when you bring in the political forward with us. <laughs> true. <laughs> when you bring in the second-best receiver in the country last year. To Drake London. To Drake, to Drake London. London. Um, that, that it makes it that much difficult. Everyone wants to talk about Jordan Addison. But Mario Williams, touchdowns in the spring game, touchdown in the first scrimmage. Touchdown in the second scrimmage. I mean, he just scores every time they have actual scrimmage situations, so I wouldn't be surprised if he scores again on Saturday, too. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll go with Jordan Addison, 100 yards, Brendan Rice, 100 yards, but Mario Williams has two touchdowns. Oh, I like that. Interesting. Spreading the wealth around a little bit. There you go, Jack. There's another question on YouTube uh, from Mason Everest. He's asking, will this be SC's best season over the next three years? I think people would start to go, no, they'll be better as the Lincoln – Lincoln Riley era develops a little bit, but he brings up a couple good points. You lose a lot of offensive linemen after this year, and after the next year, Caleb Williams most likely headed to the NFL. So I, I think it raises a good point, but do you guys think that this will be SC's best season over the next three? Hell no. It'll be the worst. Like, this is a completely rebuilt roster. Um, you're, I think you're thinking in Clay Hilton terms of like, well, they're losing a bunch of offensive linemen. Well, he's going to go get a whole bunch of offensive linemen. So you're, you're going to be recruiting at a much higher level uh, you get guys in the system a little bit longer. Yeah, this is the this is the building block. You're going to build upon this one. This is not going to be a a peak and then you drop off the net. If that's if that's the case, then you hired the wrong guy. That should not be happening. Uh, that's it's interesting. I like the the thought process going through it, but I I agree. I think that you will only continue to get it better. The way they built this roster tells me. And granted, offensive linemen are the toughest position to go get in the transfer portal but yep. i wouldn't be surprised if they're able to get you know one or two more guys there next year that you can bring in and we'll see where the development is actually on genio quinones on mason murphy on some of those younger guys that we've kind of written off as hey they're not in that top six um, but i wouldn't be surprised if both of those two guys maybe get a series in the first half maybe okay. not too much but get a series get their feet wet and then you know get an opportunities later in the game if they're blowing them out as well um, but i think they want to get those guys in there because one of those guys will probably have to play at some point in the season. Yeah. There's going to be injuries. In, in a significant role, you know, because someone's going to get banged up and you're going to have a guard go down or something, whether it be for a whole game or two games or three, whatever, you're going to have someone in the interior go down. Okay, who can step up and fill that role? Uh, and, you know, is it one of those guys? Do you have to shift someone inside and, you know, bring in a, t and bring in a tackle, bring in Haskins at, you know, a right tackle and Jonas Monheim Simpson. There's a lot of things that could be moving parts, but I think one of those two guys will have to play uh, in, in a big game at some point this season. So I think you want to get their feet wet uh, to begin with. All right. We got another question from YouTube. It's from St uh, Stefan or Steven. Which freshman defensive player has the best chance of playing in the first game? I mean, there's only a couple. I'm right. trying to just think of who all defensive players like are. Dem Zion Branch will not. Yeah. I will say it will not be him. Damani Jackson, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if he's he, if he's even available to play, I mean, we we haven't seen him practice all week. True. Yeah, there's not a lot of dude like. I mean, Fabian Ross is freshman. the only other guy. Is, is there any he's other? Uh, Garrison Madden, right? Middle linebacker. Garrison Madden, like those two guys are yeah. are redshirt candidates for sure. There's just not that many <laughs> true freshman bodies yeah. on there. Remember, they only brought in a freshman class of nine. I yeah. want to say it was. And I think, I think they, it's eight or nine. Yeah, then they lost one of them because Bertram's gone. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it was t uh, 
I, I don't remember if love if it was ten with Lovelace or eleven with Lovelace. So you know, um, not many freshmen to to bring in, or not many freshmen that they brought in. So you know, a lot of transfers. Those guys will see a lot more action than the freshmen. Right yep. Now. I think that's pretty much all the questions that we've got coming in so far. Sweet. Make sure to drop any, any more if right. you have any. Do you want to rapid fire a few? Or? Yeah, John wanted to know why we were talking about kicking uh, earlier. So I got a couple more questions about kickers and punters here. Uh, depth chart. It was yeah. a depth chart. It uh, the kicking. Roy wanted to know, do you have any information on the punting? Any good? No. We don't get to see much. No. Yeah. No information at all. I'll so say we, they go high in the air. As we're standing outside while they're doing it, we see it go above the fence. So, I mean, that's pretty much all we can see with the punters. Right. They're doing like – they'll have – when we walk in, there's like some punt return and kick return stuff. But it's more just like nonchalant, like we're kicking it to a specific spot. They're not like – we're not watching the special teams where there's like trying to boom punts. So, we can't give you about – we can't give you the booming punt talk. Because we don't see any of that stuff. Anyway. It won't matter this first week anyways. Uh, no. Alan want to know, did you guys get to see the walk-on kicker who won the job, Dennis Lynch? If he Is he any good or was the incumbent unimpressive? Unfortunately, again, we didn't get to see that uh, because of the media restrictions. But Dennis Lynch, super strong leg from Newberry Park. Um, you know, a guy that coming in two years ago, we thought, hey, this guy's got a leg. It's 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 also intriguing just because of the body type, and he's such a short. But he's got a, a powerful leg. He's so a real the, popular guy on the team. Yeah, he's, he's hilarious, and everyone <laughs> you know uh, seems to like him. But Alex Stadhouse had been super consistent for USC last year, so that was a little bit surprised to me. But we haven't actually seen them in person ourselves to see you know why they made the decision yeah, that they but did. You've seen Stadhouse kick, and he can kick. So, I mean, I, I'm assuming Lynch has done pretty well. So yeah. It, so the big thing is Lynch has a stronger leg than Stadhouse um, as far as just on kickoffs. You know, Stadhouse was you're going to say, okay, what's his range going to be? Lynch has a, a deeper field goal uh, range, but Stadhouse had been super consistent. You know, he went ten of ten last year, I think it was, or six of six last year, and ten of ten on extra points or something like that. So he made every kick that he had tried as a field goal kicker, uh, extra point kicker. Whereas Dennis Lynch has no experience doing that. So if he was more consistent, though, Dennis Lynch, and that's what was the phrase used, then that tells you, you know, that, that you get the best of both worlds. Yeah. It's hard to be more consistent than what Stathouse was last year. Last but, year but, yeah. yeah it could be year. different now. Yeah. Another note about Rice. They were 5 of 11 on field goals all year last year. Yeah. <laughs> special teams have not change. been very good for Rice, too. Yeah. Uh, like, like Riley talked about, like, you know, there was a lot of questions about the defense. And, you know, one of the things was focusing on like, hey, you might give up some drives, but hold them to three, put three points up and not seven. It, it makes it, you know, it, he's not confident. Like we can score points if the defense gives up some points, but it's field goals and not touchdowns and they'll, they'll be fine. Jerry Fuentes want to know year after year, the linebackers stink. How do they look this year? Uh, from what we've seen, oh, we don't see it. But I think, I think you like those top three. Um, the fact that, Eric Gentry is a name that has come up, it feels like, every practice when players and coaches talking, then that's a positive, I think. Um, and the fact that you know what Shane Lee is capable of from being a freshman All-American. So I, I think that you feel confident with what they have there. And Raylan Goforth, I think, has taken a big step forward from what we've seen in the spring and the little bits in, in the fall uh, from where he was last year. Last year was not very good. So you, you, just want, you want to see players improving. And so far, he, he has shown some improvement there. So I, I think you feel better than you definitely would have without Romello, I mean, without uh, Shane Lee or um, Gentry coming in because then you're going, what, is, yeah. what are you going to do with that position? Because no one else had played with any experience there. So I think you feel okay about it, but you don't really know until you're diagnosing another program's plays and stuff. Yeah. Because you, know, you can see the same thing in practice every day and kind of get used to the tails, or maybe you know how an offensive lineman leans or something because you see these guys. There's a whole you different ballgame now. Yeah. Really different when you're seeing someone else. And how much film study do you do to where you see a tendency and you can capitalize on it those are the type of things that you know luke keekley is not the biggest fastest or strongest guy but he if makes you, every tackle if you listen to him on a mic'd up segment oh it's so much fun <laughs> he's calling out plays he's telling the linemen what they're about to do on the on the off on the offensive side you know if you can do those type things then it, the game slows down to to a snail's pace and everything becomes very easy so that's a part that you don't really know from what you see on a practice field in the little glimpses we have seen all right we should probably wrap things up. Is there any other pressing uh, stuff you guys want to get to? We can uh, call this one a, 
a show. Were we uh, making picks on the show or those? Oh, yeah. We got to do the picks. That's very good. See, that's why Jack's here. So he's like, remind us the stuff we got to do. Picks against the spread. We've been doing it. So if you watch or listen to the podcast of Champions, you can watch it too. Uh, plug. Uh, the podcast I do with David Woods, who works for the Bruin Report online site. So we have the USC guy, me, and the UCLA guy, David. We've been doing the podcast of Champions for like seven years now. We pick every game against the spread. Um, but we've all been doing picks here too. So we're going to do picks. Uh, we'll post them for the whole staff and we'll keep track. I think Keely won last year, like going away. So we should invite her back. Maybe she wants to come on and, uh, and do picks. I don't know if the, the compliance at USC will let her. But uh, yeah, so we're going to do picks. I think we have like eight staff members are going to be doing picks against the spread. But we like to reveal them what we're going to, you know, and I guess it doesn't have to match, but mine will match. Um, I already did my picks for the whole Pac-12 on the podcast of Champions. But USC... Depending where you're looking at, 32-point favorite uh, against Rice. I am taking USC to cover. And you, if you know me, I am usually not picking USC to cover spreads, uh, or at least uh, not during the Clay Helton era. Um, I'm going to start the Lincoln-Riley era covering a big spread, which just feels a little weird to me. I feel a little icky, to be honest, of picking the USC. But 32 points, um, if, they, if Rice slows things down and it's going to be a 45-14 game, like, that's not going to work, but I think they're going to try to stretch their wings, you know, spread their wings a little bit and uh, really put up some points. So I'm going to take USC minus 32. What do you got, Shoddy? Covering the spread easily. Covering the spread, all I right. I got them putting up a 70 burger. Nice. Okay, so that that's good. Big old uh, burger. 70 points. I don't think Rice is going to score like 40 or whatever, so that's that's probably good. What about, uh, what about you, Jack? What do you I think? So I, I, as much as I want to, I'm still picking SC to win, but 32 points is is a large margin. Rice only lost by that many or more twice last season. One was indoors and one was at night. It's going to be triple digits, even hotter on the Coliseum field. Rice holds the ball for a long time, and I think SC is going to try and get a, a look at pretty much everyone on the roster. We're going to see most likely two quarterbacks. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Miller Moss for a long time. We're going to see four running backs at least, a couple left tackles, a bunch of different linebackers and DBs. I don't think that they're going to try and go all out to, to cover the spread, win by more than that. I think they just want to come out with a quick, healthy, easy win against Rice. It's going to be a hot game. Rice is going to hold on to the ball. So I'm going to take Rice uh, plus 32. But I, th I still think SC wins out big. But, I mean, you can still blow them out by 30 and not cover. So, uh, What's your Twitter? Jack Smith. PXP, yep. just so everyone knows that that's where you can send your hate tweets <laughs> to Jack. Well, they, now, now that Chris isn't here, I guess like I'm the one that's going to get all the hate. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, no, that's cool. I mean, that's. I mean, I could easily have. I mean, 32 points, is a lot of points. Like I, yeah. most of the picks I were doing this this week are just like 40 points. Like no, I just give me the points. Like you know, if you're watching a game and you're like, you have to cover like a huge spread like that. Like in the first quarter, if like the team like oh they you know, trip up on third and six and have to punt. You're like, oh, like we're never going to make up all these points. But I think this is one of the things they're going to start flowing. And I don't know about 70 burger, but I think they're going to put up some big points. But I'll go I'll go send like, your hate tweets to Jack. So like you could do 44, 17. That's still a, that's still a big blowout win, but it's but not, not covering the, the no, spread. Even yeah. 44, 14 doesn't cover the spread. Right. All right. Uh, well, that's, that's going to wrap things up. So uh, we're back on Thursday. So just remember we'll do Thursday show. Uh, we're going to give Chris the night off on Thursday, so it'll be if Shotgun's in town, Jack, myself, and Shoddy, and if not, we're going to bring in RJ in, who was in there before, RJ Abadia, so he'll come down to the studio, and uh, we'll just try to keep the Thursday one live, we'll do live calls for sure, and then for the Sunday shows, we'll continue to do what we've been doing, if Shotgun's in town, we'll have him in here, and if not, um, then we'll do, uh, we'll have him join remotely, but um, I hope you guys enjoyed this, uh, don't forget, uh, we had 75% off. At uscfootball.com, go sign up. It's a no-brainer. You got to go do it. Annual membership. You will not regret it. You'll have a lot of fun. Go to the Peristyle. It's great. And if you're coming to the game, uh, go to uscfootball.com. We have information on where our tailgate party is. But for Jack Smith, Shotgun like, Spratling. Like, subscribe. Oh, yeah. Like and subscribe for sure. Hit that like button. We're, we need a lot more likes, so hit the like button before <laughs> you go. Um, yeah, subscribe on YouTube or Facebook or wherever you're uh, watching this. Thank you so much for tuning in to Tunnel Vision. Enjoy the first weekend for Pac-12 College Football and, of course, USC in the Lincoln-Riley era. And we will talk to you next time.